0: I'll tell you what, I think we could just call it off right there and I'll feel like I've been to church. I told uh, Shane this morning, um, I kind of miss those big podiums, you know, that we used to have. I feel kind of like a bear behind a tee post hiding behind this one, so... (laughs) But I understand it's so that we can move it to use the stage for other things. But I tell you, I've, I've been in the pulpit several times, usually for doing devotions. Uh, occasionally I've filled in here and there. But I don't think I've ever felt the full weight of what a pastor feels until you sit in his office. Uh, during Sunday school, I sat in his office, and you've got those books behind him, you know, from all those great pastors over the years that have spoken truth in Jesus' name to the congregations. And then you've got pictures on the wall that his kids and his wife have given for encouragement, gifts hanging on the walls that uh, people in the church have given him. And it's a humbling experience uh, to just understand what the man carries every week. I think sometimes you have to be in his shoes to do that. Now, stepping into Brother Israel's shoes, that's some mighty big shoes to fill. Fortunately, he wears a lot smaller jacket than I do. So, uh, For those of you that know me, you'll know that I don't wear a suit very often. Uh, somebody asked me one time if uh I felt like I should wear a suit when I'm in the pulpit. And I said, well, the only thing I've really seen in the Bible says that we should dress modestly. And I said, now, which one's modest, me and my good overalls or you in a $500 suit? <laughs> so they dropped the subject. So, I'm here in my overalls this morning. But before we get started, I'd like to pray about it. And I ask that uh, you would all pray with me because we need to remember that y'all are not here to hear me, y'all are here to hear from the Lord, and if we don't hear from the Lord, there's no point in showing up this morning. So, Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this awesome opportunity and responsibility that you've laid on me, Lord. I understand that really my part of this show was over. The rest of it's all up to you, if If the people don't hear from you, then we've wasted our time here today, Lord. I ask that you just fill me up and use me. Let me just be your mouthpiece this morning as you speak to us the words we need to hear. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Years ago when I first moved to Texas, I uh, took a travel trailer out there. And uh, as a young man, I'd never... I'd been off to the mountains one time for a six month period, but outside of that, I'd never really lived anywhere else. So I was going to start my new adventure in the oil field, and I ended up in a place called Denton. It was a college town, about 200, 250,000 people, so it was a lot bigger than any place I'd ever lived before. Well, we were working eight-hour shifts seven days a week. We never got a day off, and uh, at times we'd be short of crew, and we'd end up working 12-hour shifts, and one of the things that was important to me from growing up in the church was to find a church that I could attend. Well, riding around there in the north part of the Metroplex, I found this big old church out there on the interstate, and I thought, well, I'll stop in there, you know, give it a try. Well, one Sunday night, I found out when they were going to have services, and that Sunday night after I got off work, I went home and showered, went over there to the church and parked. I was a little bit early, so it didn't really bother me too much that there wasn't many people parked where I was. Then I got to thinking, you know, maybe they normally park on the other side. Well, I went inside, and the church was dark. There was just a few lights here and there. The sanctuary was dark. Well, then I got kind of concerned, you know, that I'd got the time wrong. But I heard some voices coming down a hallway, and I followed the sound of the voices down to a small classroom. And there I found the pastor and nine people, mostly elderly, uh, getting ready to have church. I sat in with them. I had a great Bible study after service I stayed around and spoke with the pastor and we walked in there to the sanctuary now this sanctuary probably hold anywhere from 700 to 1000 people a huge sanctuary and he said well we don't generally have church in the sanctuary on Sunday night because it's just not cost effective to run all the lights for no more than we have He went on to tell me that he had uh he had just taken the church just a few months prior and he was trying to get a work started in there and uh it was it was a real struggle for him well i continued to go and about a month later my shifts got switched and i was working nights instead of days so i went back on sunday morning i walked in on sunday morning and let me tell you it was a completely different place That huge sanctuary was packed. And I was glad I got there early because I didn't know that I'd get a seat. And uh, I had people coming around shaking my hand, telling me, you know, they was glad to see me. It was good to see a visitor. And, you know, I was still kind of young, and I was a roughneck, so my thoughts bypassed that brain-to-mouth filter, and I said, I've been coming here for a couple of months. I ain't seen none of you people. (laughs) where did y'all come from? Well, shortly after that, I ended up moving to Bowie, and that's where I found my bride and uh, joined the church there. But I always remember that experience going to that church. And I was surprised when we moved home a few years ago to find the same situation here. A lot of our association churches aren't having church on Sunday night. Some of the biggest churches around here are not having church on Sunday night. Um, And I compared this to the early church in Acts who were radically generous, totally devoted to Scripture, completely united in community and deeply committed to Christ to the point of persecution all for the sake of the gospel. And I wondered, how did we get from that what we're doing today. And I believe it's simply because we've lost our power. The church has lost its power in America today. And that made me wonder how we're going to get it back. If you would, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 18. We're going to be looking at uh, verses 36 and 37. But I got to wondering, you know, how are we going to get our power back? And I came up with three points, and they all conveniently started with the letter P. Now, this is not Sesame Street. This is not the gospel brought to you by the letter P. It just happened to be a coincidence that they all started with the letter P. But the first thing that I think we need to look at is captured here in these verses. Now, this is going to be a little familiar. You probably have recently read this since we've been through uh, Easter a couple of weeks ago, this is Jesus standing in front of Pilate, and Pilate asked him a few questions. And Jesus answered, "My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should be delivered to the, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king?" Then Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth, so everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Diedrich Bonhoeffer once said that a king who dies on a cross must be the king of a rather strange kingdom. Only those who understand the profound paradox of the cross can also understand the meaning of Jesus' assertion My kingdom is not of this world. You see, the first thing I think we've got to get a hold of, we've got to reclaim our perspective. Our perspective has got to change. You see, just as Jesus' kingdom is not of this world, we're his servants. We're not of this world either. If you're a Christian and you're here today, you are not of this world. You belong to the kingdom of God. We're supposed to be servants and representatives of him we're supposed to make a change and not just give lip service to the great commission you see the confusion that we sometimes have is jesus is not in the business of making bad people good a lot of times we get it in our heads that that's what we're to do we're supposed to go out find bad people so that jesus can make them good that's not what jesus is doing at all Jesus' business is making dead people alive. Now, if you look over in Ephesians 1, you'll find out, he says, and you hath he quickened or made alive those who were dead in trespasses and sins. You're not saved because you're a bad person. You're saved because you're a dead person. But if you're lost, that's all you've got. You're a dead person, dead in your trespasses and sins. But let me tell you something, Christian. If you are still living outside of the kingdom, you've got a dead person that you're toting around with you. That fleshly nature stays with you, and we won't cast it off until Jesus comes back or we pass away. So we're constantly carrying around that fleshly nature. Paul tells us over and over again that we've got to kill the old man, we've got to set the old man aside. But all too often, Christians come to church week after week toting this dead man with them, this dead man that they've dressed up like that old movie Weekend at Bernie's, you know. And they've got him sitting on the pew, and preachers all across America are kicking corpses in the pew trying to find a little bit of life somewhere in there, some spark of the kingdom life that we're supposed to be living. All the while the dead man keeps us wrapped up in the rat race of this life and we end up living a meaningless existence right up to the day we depart. We've got to change our perspective and get our gaze on what matters and what is real. The kingdom of heaven is way more real than anything that we're going to find here on earth. It is going to outlast the earth. It is going to outlast your life. Uh, As Brother Israel was saying the other day, you know, He gave the example of the rope and on the very end of it was colored and they took that rope and they ran several blocks outside the church. That little colored tip, that's your life here. The rest of that rope was your life in eternity. So how much more does the things that we do for the kingdom here matter than the things that we do for this world? Next point is if... We want to live lives of power. We've got to regain our purpose. Once we understand that this kingdom is not of this world, we need to know what our purpose in the kingdom is. Ephesians 6:12 tells us that our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and rulers of the darkness of this world and against spiritual wickedness in high places. Just last Wednesday night, we finished up a radical series with David Platt, And he puts it this way the church is designed for battle. The church's purpose is to mobilize a people to accomplish a mission. Yet we seem to have organized ourselves not to engage in the battles for the souls of peoples around the world, but to indulge ourselves in the peaceful comforts of this world. Our purpose is to wage war for the kingdom, our purpose is to bring glory to the king. It's not to build nice homes not to drive nice cars it's not to win football games all these things are nice and they're good but if that becomes our purpose then we failed now in order to avoid the fate of becoming a deserter or a traitor to the kingdom we've got to look over in Matthew 11 in verses 28 through 30 Jesus tells us how we can avoid that. If you all will turn with me over there, I'd like you to see this in your copy of the Word. Matthew chapter 11, we'll be looking at verses 28 through 30. Now here Jesus uses a different analogy rather than warfare. He talks about the work. Verse 28 says, Come unto me, all ye that are that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart and you shall find rest under your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light so here Jesus uses the example of an oxen team now an oxen team the yoke is a piece of wood carved to go across the necks of both oxen, and then underneath there's like a U-bolt that comes up through the, hold the yoke into place. Now, I haven't dealt with too many oxen, um, but I have a lot of experience with draft animals. Uh, I've been around horses and mules all my life, and I've driven them. And one thing that I've found about most good teams is you've got Uh, what's called a goer and a stayer and uh, I laugh I've told my wife we make a pretty good team because she's the goer and I'm the stayer she keeps me moving and I keep her calm (laughs) and uh, that's what a good marriage looks like really it's it's uh it's the reason I believe opposite attracts because we pull each other's strengths and we shore up each other's weaknesses but That doesn't really apply in this analogy because Jesus is really the goer and the stayer. You see there in uh, verse 29, it says, I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. You see, the calmness that Jesus brings is the peace that can only be brought by Jesus. That's the kind of peace that led martyrs across the centuries to calmly face torture and death in his name, with a sense of peace that was unfathomable to the people that was killing them. Their testimony of the peace in their lives had a profound effect on the people that they came in contact with. But he's also the goer. He says, I will give you rest, and that his burden is light. This means he's going to be doing most of the pulling in the team. The best way to live a life of power is to tap in to his power. We're never going to pull the load that he's given us to pull under our own power. Paul Shepherd says that the church of today has stadium mentality. 20,000 people desperately needing exercise are watching 22 men who desperately need rest. Even Jesus in his earthly form had to pull back from the crowd, eventually go over to the far shore and find rest. So the burden being light don't mean it's not work. As we've talked about earlier today, the pastor and his wife have taken a break this weekend. Your pastor needs that. Never, never think that your pastor does not need rest. Um, As I was telling you before, sitting in that office, you just don't understand the burden that your pastor is under until you step in his shoes. And from time to time, they have to step over to the far shore and take a rest. So what does it mean that his yoke is easy and his burden is light? First of all, yoke being easy means that it's well fitted you see when a carpenter made a yoke for a yoke of oxen he carved it just to fit that team it was carved to fit each individual animal and if it was moved to another animal it had to be re-carved and refitted to that animal we do that with draft horses and mules one of the easiest ways you can hurt an animal is to put it in equipment that doesn't fit and then ask it to pull a load. You see, the thing that Jesus is saying here is that this yoke is specifically designed for you. God has a purpose for you, Christian. If you have been saved, he has a purpose. He has a yoke that has been specifically designed for you and your talents. You have, but you have got to make the choice of getting in the yoke with him. Now, once you get in the yoke with him, his burden is light because he's going to be doing most of the pulling. You're going to be leaning on him, but you've got to make that step to get into the yoke. Too many people today, are too many Christians today, are living lives of drudgery and depression, and it's simply because they're wearing a yoke that doesn't fit. The yoke out here that the world wants to put on you, Christian, does not fit you. If you want to get a properly fitted yoke, if you want to get the job that you're supposed to do, you have got to get in the yoke with Christ. Finally, to live a life of power, we have to have a pilot. In our war, we have a commanding officer. We have the Holy Spirit. The more we pray and the more we get into the Word the more we get used to hearing his voice, the closer we draw to him, the easier it is to hear his voice. I've told my, my men's group, you know, as I've grown in my Christian life that when I first started, when I first got saved, uh, the Lord leading me to his will was like a, a fellow that we had on the rig. He told his crew that they couldn't throw him in the shell pit. Well, one evening, half of his crew got on one side of the door and half of his crew got on the other end of the building. They snatched him up, duct taped his feet together, and drug him to the shell pit. Now, As they're going across there, they left his arms free because they didn't want him drowned. Uh, he grabbed a hold of things. When he grabbed a hold of the railing, Sky Ritchie would go over and start biting him on the arm until he turned loose. They'd drag him down about three or four more steps and he'd latch on again. Guy go to biting him again. Well eventually they got him down there and throwed him in the shell pit. And we all had a big laugh. Now when I first started Christian, that's the way I was. If the Lord wanted me to do something, a lot of times he had to drag me to where I had to go. And if it was something that I was latched on to, he'd bite me till I turned loose of it. Then I got a little bit better. I told I told her men's group I got kind of like have any of you ever been to a sale barn? You see a cow get loose back there in the sale barn and them guys start moving it. They get that cow to moving and then they just go to slamming doors until they get him where they want him to go. And that's the way I was. I just get to moving and then the Lord had just shut the doors until he got me pointed where he wanted to go. Finally, I started getting in the word. I started being submissive. And now. I'll get little nudges here and there. Every now and again, I'll get that still small voice that sounds like a thought that I didn't think. And God will speak to me and direct my path. Now That doesn't mean I don't have any growing room yet. Where I want to be is when I tell a story of how the Lord spoke to me and how he used me When somebody says, that's amazing, I can say, no, that was Thursday. That's where I want to be. I want to be where I step out on faith every day and that the Lord's voice sounds as real to me as yours does. The English evangelist J. John made famous a powerful analogy by asking a simple question. He asks, where is Jesus in the car of your life? In the car of your life, where is Jesus? First of all, is he in the car? Friend, have you been saved? Do you have Christ in the car with you? Do you know that around the next curve, that car may meet its end? The Lord may come back, or... Your car just may stop. You can say, oh no, I take care of myself. I jog three miles a day. I'm a young man. You know that 20 year olds jogging three times a day can get run over by a 65 year old bus driver that smokes three packs a day. It happens. You've got to find that time on your life and I'm not saying that taking care of yourself is not going to be a good idea. Those years are a whole lot better, let me tell you. If you take care of yourself, take it from somebody that didn't. The years that I've got left are full of a lot more pain than what they would have been if I had took better care of myself. But that doesn't mean that your days can't come to an end tomorrow. So if you've got Jesus in the car with you, if you're saved, where is he at? Have you got him in the trunk like a spare tire to pull out when you need him for fire insurance to make sure you get to heaven? Do you pull him out on Sunday mornings and and dust him off and let him speak to you just a little bit and then after service toss him back in the trunk and not hear from him the rest of the week? Is he in the back seat? Can you... You occasionally get in your Bible through the week, maybe attend all the church services, but just all the noise and the things that are going on in the world keeps you distracted, and you have a hard time hearing him speak to you. Is he in the passenger seat? Is he where you can hear him and you have conversations with him? You've started your prayer life. You've started your walk with him. You're reading your Bible But you've not yet fully submitted to letting him have control of your life. Or have you made the step of letting him in the driver's seat? Have you crucified the old man like Paul was saying? When we drove up today, Gavin looked at the cross out there. He said, man, the cross is looking rough. You know, the, the plants that we put on it were dying and wilting. And I said, well, I hope that's not a sign of, since I'm preaching today. But to be honest, it was because I've got to crucify that old man. I've got to put my death on the cross so that you can hear from me. If Jesus is going to pilot the car in my life, I've got to die like those plants out there on the cross. I've got to let him have full control Of my life. I've got to let him have the steering wheel. Now, once you do that, now I'm in that next spot. I've got the Lord in the driver's seat, but I kind of want to be a backseat driver. You know, the Lord starts turning this way, and I say, Where are you going? He said, I'm going down the road of forgiveness. You've got people that you need to forgive. And I said, I don't want to forgive them. He said, I'm driving. Or he turns this way, and he says, I want you to step out. I want you to do something that you've never done before. I say, but I don't want to do that. I'm scared. He said, I'm driving. Do you trust me? So, folks, this morning, I'm going to ask you, if everybody would please bow your heads. to come up. no looking around, remember I'm new at this and I don't have a problem pointing you out because I don't know no better. I want you to do a little self-reflection this morning. I want you to ask yourself the question, where is Jesus in the car of my life? Find out where Jesus is in the car in your life. Is he in the driver's seat where he's supposed to be? Christian, does Christ fully have control of your life or is there something you're still holding on to that you don't want to turn loose of? Is there some reason that you won't let him out of the trunk? Are you afraid this morning that he's going to lead you down a trail that you don't want to go? Are you that backseat driver? Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Christian, if you don't have Jesus in the driver's seat, you're not living any kind of life worth living. The only thing that you're going to do that matters in this life is what we do for the kingdom. So this morning, as Scotty plays, these altars are open. If you need somebody to pray with you, I'll be glad to pray with you. But come do business with God today. These altars are open.